0: In our Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Do you guys know who William Tyndale is? Okay. He's the father of the English Bible. He translated 90% of the King James Version of the Scriptures. Tyndale as Bishop Tunstall. To authorize him to write a translation of the Bible. But the bishop denied his request. However, it did not stop him from his desire. Tyndall went to Europe to complete his translation after receiving encouragement and support from the British merchants. He had the Bible printed in there and smuggled it back to England. So he's doing, he's, he's, he's translating the Bible, he's smuggling, he's doing it against what the authorities told him not to do. Tinder continued hiding among the merchants while he started translating the Old Testament. The authorities found him after an Englishman who pretended to be his friend turned him over. He was detained in prison for one and a half years and later brought to trial for heresy. He was later condemned and was sentenced to death on October 6, 1536. He died by strangling and his body when he was dead was burned to the stake. So Tyndall disobeyed his authorities because the laws that the people that were telling him not to do broke God's laws. And for Tyndall, God's laws are more important than anything else. And we're going to see the teachings of Jesus when it comes to obeying God and also obeying government today. Amen. So let's turn your Bibles to chapter 17, Matthew 17, verse 24 through 27. The word of God says, are you guys there yet? Yeah. Okay. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, yes. And he came into the house. Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll taxes? From their sons Or from strangers. When Peter said, From strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. Amen. So today we're going to talk about three scenes concerning Jesus and government. Three scenes concerning Jesus and government. We're going to talk and we're going to see that the first scene deals with the question. And that's verse 24. The second scene deals with the discussion between Jesus and Peter. Verses 25 through 26. And the last scene deals with the provision. And that's verse 27. For those that are taking notes, go ahead and copy the... The outline that's there and also the theme, something, the universal principle that we can learn from this word today that was meant for those who were reading it at the time to our to our present day today is. As believers, we are commanded to obey God first. And government. As believers, we are commanded to obey God first. And government. So I want you to have that in your mind as we go through today's lesson. What is my responsibility as a Christian to God? And what is my responsibility to government? Amen? So, last class or last Wednesday, uh, we had Mr. Ben Scarborough. How many enjoyed his lesson? It was a great lesson. I loved his energy. I loved the way, but most importantly, the Word of God, how he explained it. And what did he what was he talking about? What did the disciples come to Jesus and say? What did they ask Jesus? Hey, how come you did what and we couldn't? What was he talking about? What did Jesus do that his disciples couldn't do? With uh, Kate. Cast, out the demon. Cast out the demon, right? And and what was uh what what was the conclusion? What were the disciples doing? Why didn't it work? Yes. Ms. minzer. Um, they, they were trying to have like, faith in themselves instead of Thank you. They were they were thinking that they can do it. Right. Maybe they got so used to doing it. They were, you know, seeing in in chapter 10, you know, God gives them this authority and they're working and they're doing it. And all of a sudden, maybe they got comfortable and they forgot who's the one that sent them and through what power they were doing it through. And Ben encouraged us to when we feel that way and we feel that we can't do the Christian life. Trust me, we can't do the Christian life. It's through Jesus that we can do the Christian life and to put our faith in him. Amen. But we also said, and Jesus also gave him a gave him a prediction. What prediction did Jesus give his disciples towards the end of the of the chapter? You can read it right there in verse uh, <clears throat> twenty two and twenty three. Claire. Yes, yes. And this time, did Peter say anything? <laughs> did Peter say anything? May it never be, Lord. Did he say that? No, he learned his lesson, and then the other disciples say anything. They were like, "I don't want to be called Satan." You know, that will happen to Peter. I don't, let that happen to Peter, not me. So now we're here, and this leads us to the scene uh, where Jesus begins to talk about government with one of his disciples. In scene one, the question. Okay, verse twenty-four. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? When they came to Capernaum, they were in Galilee. All right. The chapter below. The, sorry. Before they were in Galilee, traveled about 60 miles to Capernaum. Does anybody remember what Capernaum was for Jesus and his ministry? What was Capernaum? Anybody remember Yes, headquarters, home base. A lot of Jesus' ministry happened in Capernaum. Great, great observation. Great answer. Now, did Capernaum ever receive any type of dire warning from Jesus? I think Matt was the one that taught that lesson. Anybody remember? Were they going to be blessed? So blessed? Capernaum? Does anybody remember what happened to Capernaum? Woe to you. No? Remember? A little bit. That these people saw Jesus every day in the ministry. Daily, They were encountering Jesus and his teachings and his miracles. And what happened, William? Um, he said they would be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. That's pretty bad. Worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Alright, and then those who collected the two drachma attacks came to Peter and said... So, it was a time of year of this tax collection, right? And what is the drachma? Well, we'll go in a second. But they came to Peter because this, this tax, which we're going to learn in a second, there's two ways to pay it. You could pay it. The first way to pay it, you can pay it in Jerusalem during the Passover festival. You can pay it in person. Or there, was, there were these uh, designees that would go around Palestine, and it would be like a month earlier that they would start asking people to pay this tax, Um, so what do you call these delegates that collect taxes? What do you call them? Riley. Tax collectors. Yes, tax collectors. And we know that the Jewish people love tax collectors, right? They couldn't wait to see one, to meet one, to bring them inside their house and fellowship with them and have Papa John's with them. Right? No, no, they didn't. Text, what happened with these tax collectors? They taxed them, <laughs> Peter Barjona. So, yes, they taxed them. But why were they disliked? Yeah. Um, because they would often tax more than they did take the extra money. And they would take it for themselves, and they, and, they, and also they worked for who? The Romans. And who they were? Who, who were the Romans? Yeah, but in Jewish terms, who were the Romans and the Jewish people? And, oh yeah, they're captured, number one. And number two, they're Gentiles. Yeah, they're pagans. So they work for pagans and Gentiles, right? They tax us more money than what they actually need, and then they take it for themselves. So they weren't popular people. Now, the two-dragma temple tax. That's what it is. It's a temple tax. All right? Uh, Everybody open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. We're going to see the origin of this tax. So by process of elimination, is this a Roman tax or a Jewish tax? Anybody? Why would it be a Jewish tax? Yes. And because we're going to Exodus. Exodus 30. Verse 11. The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a sentence of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, so that there will be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone who is numbered shall give. Half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty that word, half a shekel as a contribution to the Lord. Okay? And then Exodus 38, 26, you don't have to go there. A Becca a head, that is half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary for each one who passed over to those who were numbered from 20 years old upward or 603, 550 men. So basically, this tax that was collected yearly was to maintain the temple. Okay? So it was a yearly tax that was to maintain the temple. Now, Guess what? Commentator writes, was this law enforced by the Romans? What do you think? Yes or no? Who says yes? Raise your hand. If it was enforced by the Romans. Who says no? It was not enforced by the Romans. Who says I don't know? Okay, at least you're honest. Yes, this tax was not enforced. The Romans did not make the Jews pay this tax. So it was a tax that was enforced only by the Jewish leadership. Now, why, does it, why do they come to Peter? Is that a question that you have to ask yourself? Why, why come to Peter? Do you remember when we talked about Peter's mother-in-law? When she was sick? And he wanted her to stay sick? Remember that? No, oh, Peter wanted her to get healed. And where, where is Peter's home? Hint, hint. The city, becomes, it begins with a C? Yes. Yes. He lives there. He lives in Capernaum. He lives there. Okay? So, they would come to Peter because Peter would be the head of the household. And Jesus is a guest in Peter's household. So then, they're asking Peter, hey, what's going to happen with Jesus, right? Is he going to pay that tax? The question, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? Again, this reference of does your teacher, it lets us know that it is from a Jewish perspective because that's what individuals or Jewish people during the time would call a rabbi, their teacher, their leader, their mentor, right? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that this these tax collectors or tax collector asked this question out of curiosity to Peter? Or do you think they were trying to get Jesus with what he said? What do you think, What do you guys think? Who says, out of curiosity, raise your hand? Who says, try to get Jesus? Raise your hand. Who says, I don't know? Okay, at least we're getting somewhere. At least you're, you're, you're hot and you're cold now. That's good. Both options could be. It could be out of curiosity. It could be that they were trying to get Jesus. Because we know, that we've read, they're always trying to get him to say something. To hold something. Against him, right? Because they didn't like his message. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like his, his gospel, right? But another commentator wrote, well, the way the question is asked, it, it, it is that he has paid it before. And that Peter does regularly pay it. And they were, they were just asking out of curiosity. Now, what did he respond in verse 25? What did he say? Well, nope, not going to happen. He's not going to pay. Did he say that? Does, Jesus say, does Peter say that? What does Peter say? Everyone? What does verse 25 say? Yes. yes. Yes, he does. And here, in the Greek word for yes here is an emphatic particle, meaning it expresses intensity. Alright? Now, Commentators roll two things. It could be, well, he responded yes, because he didn't want anybody to look or think bad about Jesus, and of course he's going to pay the taxes, right? Or he responded, yes, because in the past he did pay it, and it always did pay, so of course we're going to pay it. Now, let's see how the great teacher, Jesus, discusses the tax issue with Peter. This leads us to scene number two, The discussion. See number two. The discussion. Verse twenty-five B. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, "What do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax, from their sons or from strangers?" When Peter said, "From strangers," Jesus said to him, "Then the sons are exempt." And when he came into the house, right? So, whose house? We all agree it could be whose house? Everyone? Peter's house. Yes, it could be Peter's house. Um, and Jesus spoke to him first saying. So here the Greek for spoke to him first means he anticipated. Any question that Simon had in his mind, he anticipated, right? Now. Two things could have happened. Jesus could have overheard the conversation outside of their home of the tax conversation. So before Simon asked me anything, I'm going to tell him or approach him. Or supernaturally, he is God. He's Jesus. He knows what's going on. And he knows what was in Peter's mind, right? Now, what questions would have been in Peter's mind that would make Jesus anticipate him? Now, I want you to go back to the whole theme. What is the theme of Matthew. Jesus is king. Jesus, Jesus as king. Right? So, what would be questions that Peter might be asking himself? At this moment, when the tax collector approaches him. Yes? Okay. Maybe, yes. That could be. What else is he thinking? Fox? Ruling over the area, he's the one who created the tax, um, so he shouldn't have to pay. You think that would be a legit question for Peter to be in his head? He said, oh, "They're requiring your tax, but is Jesus going to pay? Because does this, he say he is the Messiah?" Peter said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Yes. He would be thinking, well, if the tax is for the temple, but Jesus says himself, right, that he is the son of God, why would he pay the tax? Right? If Jesus says who he says he is. So now let me ask you a question. Are those legitimate questions that Peter can be asking in his head? Yes or no? Yes. Now, do you sometimes ask questions about God and Christianity? that kind of don't make sense in our finite minds yes or no Yes. yes yes we do but don't worry about it why because the apostles did the same and God in his infinite wisdom can sometimes clarify many of those questions and we're grateful for that but guess what if he doesn't we just have to trust trust who the God who created everything he's a loving God he knows what he's doing Nothing happens by accident. So all the questions that we might have, all the doubts that we might have, they, they could be in our minds and they could be legitimate questions. And some of those questions, to the majority of them, in God's grace, we have the answers for. You've got to study. You can get them. So don't feel bad if you ask those questions or have those questions. And please, feel free to talk to your parents about questions. You have to. Don't think you're the only one that's, are, that is thinking these things. That's the number one mistake that you can commit. Oh, man. I'm doubting God's existence and I just don't want to tell my parents because they're gonna. To... it's okay to talk to your parents about these things. They want to hear you and they want to use the word to help because guess what? When my kids come or anybody comes, I'm just going to take them to the word. The word is going to do its job anyways. I'm not here to convince anybody. Your parents are not here to convince you either. The word of God does that through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Talk to your small group leaders about it. All right? If they can answer it, they'll find an answer for you. But it's okay to have questions in our minds about God and Christianity, and it's okay to investigate them. I had a season in my life where Answers in Genesis was my best friend. Man, was I an Answers in Genesis geek, nerd. I was there nonstop about dinosaurs, about evolution, about, you know, languages and and origins and all these things. Because I like to ask questions. And God in his grace, the majority of them were answered in his word. Amen. That's that faith. So he asked Jesus. He, uh, Peter asks Jesus, what do you think, Simon? Here, what do you think is more of, Simon, what is your opinion? From who do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? The Greek word here, of the earth, is where humans and animals live. So this is not a figuratively earth. This is of the earth, right? He mentions kings of the earth to make his point that it's not only about Jewish tax. It's about taxes in general kings of the earth from who do they tax for who do they who what who, which people which citizens pay these taxes their sons or strangers this is important because it's not just jewish tax this is our relationship to government a bigger picture here customs does anybody know what the difference between a custom and a poll tax is anybody want to try it give it a shot anybody the difference between a custom and a poll tax. Fox.
1: Um, a poll tax would probably be um, it would be for the citizens of the country, and maybe a custom would be for people coming into the country. Okay, that's I, I like where you went there.
0: Yes. So the first one is correct. Poll tax is a tax on an individual. A a, a custom is a tax on a good. On goods, right? So here, what's the percentage of tax that we pay in the state of Texas? Anybody know? Is it 8. So, I thought it was 8% plus. 8.25? Man, that 2.5, now it makes sense. In Florida, it's 7%. In Alaska, it's 0%. Why is it 0% in Alaska? Many people to move over there. <laughs> hey, move to Anchorage. All righty. A tax is, uh, on goods is a customs and poll tax is paid directly by a person or organization from their own family or a unit of strangers. So a similar question is asked to Jesus by the Pharisees. And we're going to find this in Matthew chapter 22. We'll probably get there in two or three years. But for now, let's go and read what this question that was asked to Jesus is all about. Okay. Go ahead and open your Bibles or turn your Bibles to Matthew 22, verse 15. And no, it won't take two years. It'll probably be in chapter 22, maybe July of next year. Because now we're going to do Sunday school and Wednesday and stuff. I'm sorry. 22, verse 15. Are we on there? "'Tribute to Caesar. "'Then the Pharisees went and plotted together "'how they might trap him in what he said. "'And they sent their disciples to him "'along with the Herodians, saying, "'Teacher, we know that you are truthful "'and teach the way of God in truth, "'and defer to no one, "'for you are not partial to any. "'Tell us then, what do you think? "'Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not?' "'But Jesus perceived their malice and said, "'Why are you testing me, you hypocrites?' Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness is whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him they went away. Isn't our Savior wise? I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean like if Matthew knew our lingo, it would have been like my drop, right? That's what a, what, a, what a response from our Savior to those that are trying to get him. So where do they get detention from? Strangers or their sons? So let's, let's look at Peter's response in verse 26. When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, the sons, then the sons are exempt. Stranger. Here the Greek is a person not belonging to the environment in which they are found often of those from another region or country. Exempt, no longer, or not under the ownership, authority, or in the servitude of another. He's saying, yes, by strangers, but then sons, they don't have to be taxed. Why would he say that? See, the tax was imposed by God for the temple. And Jesus is the son that is why he's exempt. That is why he's saying, whoa, well, I'm exempt because I'm the son of God. Everyone else should have paid the tax except him. Why? Because if he says he is who he is, which is the son of God, and the temple is for God, then he should be exempt from this tax. If anybody would be exempt from this tax, would it would be Jesus. But he's also referring what? That they too were sons. And that one day would be exempt from these Jewish taxes and customs, right? Where he would die on the cross and the, the, old, the, the Mosaic law would no longer be part of a tradition, part of being a believer in Christ. But guess what? They couldn't grasp it at the time. Many of the disciples did. Only until his resurrection would they understand what he was truly trying to say. So let's see what Jesus is going to instruct Peter to do after this discussion. This leads us to the last one, the provision, the provision chapter verse 27. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. However, so that we do not offend them. Here the Greek word for offend means to cause, to sin or stumble. Jesus is saying, let's not cause the Jewish leaders to sin or stumble at my response. Let's go ahead and pay it. This this word, this concept is also found in First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. Which says, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. This is the context of what this Greek word means, offend. Okay. So Jesus already knew, they were trying to get him all the time. They were trying to catch him all the time. They were trying to see what they can use against him to take him to trial, to eventually persecute him. So Jesus, in his wisdom, he said, you know what? There's many battles that I will fight. This one, I'm going to purposely not. We're going to pay this tax. And we're going to see why, in God's wisdom, he would want to pay that tax. He tells Peter, go to the sea and throw in a hook. Now, Jesus could have miraculously made this shekel appear from nowhere, right? But it's funny that he makes G- Peter go and work, right? Hey, you're a fisherman, right? Go go and fish and go get a hook and don't put bait on it. Just, just throw it in there. Now, if you're Peter, what are you thinking? Yo, you know, I, I got this, you know. You stick to teaching. I, I, I can fish. I've been doing it my whole life. No, he's not thinking that. He's like, he called me Satan one time. I'm good. Yes, sir. I'm going. Whatever you tell me to do, sir, I'm going to work. No bait. Got it. Let's go. And it says, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open his mouth, you will find a shekel. The Greek word for fish here is any various kinds of cold-blooded aquatic vertebrates, usually having scales and breathing through gills. This is not a, a parable figurative. This is a fish. This is not a whale. This is a fish. All right. Shekel is a silver Greek coin called a stator. Equal to four drachmas. How many were owed per person? How many drachmas needed to be paid? Two. And how much did this coin was worth for? Four. So who is it going to cover? Both of them. Peter and Jesus. Now. Would you consider this a miracle? As I was preparing the lesson, I I told my neighbor Chris Teagle, Chris, would you consider this a miracle? And we were on the same page. We're not, you know, commentators, but at least we were on the same page. We both would consider this a miracle. Why? You mean characteristics of miracles? One characteristic of a miracle. Out of the ordinary. Out of the ordinary. Okay, what else? Miracles take time, right? So if you were healed today, it will take about a week for the first part to that miracle to occur and then another week for the second part and then the third week. That's how miracles occur in the Bible? No. How do they occur? Right away. immediate, Right? So this is boom, bam. Okay? And guess what? Why were miracles... Why do miracles occur anyways? Why are they in the Bible? Sight? To show the glory of God. What else? Text? Okay, in that realm, what else? Why were it begins with the letter V to, to their a messenger? Validate. To validate the messenger. Whatever that person says, listen to them. It is true. Why? Look at the miracles that they're creating. Look at the miracles that's happening. So Jesus in his grace, to avoid any confusion or miscommunication. Attest that, hey, what I just said, let's give this tax to the government to know that this is not just a Jewish tax, but an overall tax. And for you to be clear in the future, this is not something that you can avoid. Miracle. It is true. When in doubt, pay the tax in the future. Remember remember the miracle that you saw when I told you to get and pay for it. Even though I'm the king, I'm the son of God, I don't have to. I'm going to. But remember, he's writing and he's he's doing this for us. For when the, the readers of Matthew are reading this, for when we're reading this, to have no doubt that what Jesus says is true. Amen? Carson talks about Christ's humility in this way. He who so controls nature and its power that he still storms and multiply food now reminds Peter of that power by this miracle. While nevertheless remaining so humble that he would not needlessly cause offense and pay the taxes. Our Savior, our Lord, who did not have to pay that tax, did so. Powerful enough to do all the things that he did even to perform a miracle for Peter so that Peter would remember one day. Hey, when in doubt, do I I have to do, do I have to obey the government? Yes. Unless, unless, we'll talk about that in a second. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. The only one who did not have to pay that tax did it anyways as an example for us to follow. And you also know that he could have claimed exemption to that tax. Why? Because priests and rabbis, they didn't have to pay that tax. And he was considered a rabbi to many of the followers. So he had two. He was a son of God and a rabbi and priest. And he still decided to pay the tax. And guess what? Even though our Savior disagreed with how the Pharisees were leading the people, what did he call the Pharisees? How did 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 he criticize their leadership? How do you criticize their leadership? It reminds me of a song with three little mice. It begins with a B. What? Yes, the blind leading the blind. So, Jesus, knowing that the blind is leading the blind, that they're using this money for other things other than the temple, because you know all these tax collectors were hated for a reason, he still does what? He still does what? Pays the taxes. This is important, guys. Why, why Peter? Maybe I'm reading too much into this. But I think Jesus was preparing Peter for what he was going to go through in the times of Nero. When he talks to us about honoring the authorities, obeying the authorities. And I'm not so far off because MacArthur stated if Peter was thinking about this when he wrote 1 Peter 2.9... But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Peter would need to be remembered in his persecution. What is the theme of first Peter that we're learning about? What is it? Anybody? Theme of first Peter. Standing firm. Through suffering. And there was going to be a lot of persecution. Who, didn't, who did Peter live under? Under what emperor? That was the context that we've talked many times. Nero. And, and what? It, it was, was it a walk in the park? No. Nero was horrible. And the things that he did to Christians were horrible, yet, still, Peter is telling them to honor their authorities and obey their authorities. So how do we apply this text to our lives? As believers, what is our responsibility to government? What is our responsibility to government? Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. God Himself tells us how to apply this to our lives and how a believer should respond to government. The Word of God says, "Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they have opposed will receive, and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil." Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do you what, do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God, this is government guys, to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Turn real quick to First Peter. We read this already in Sunday school, so it should be familiar. First Peter chapter 2. Verse thirteen. Here's why I was saying it. You know, Peter was when he was writing this. He remembered the fish and the coin. When it comes to government and the Christian and government, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evil doers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God. That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, there's an exception, right? There's an exception. When do we defy government? When do we defy government? Joy. If it goes against the word of God. Yes. We defy government if it tells you to go against the word of God. Now, what if the government is an oppressive government? What happens then? In his grace, some might argue that an oppressive government is better than no government, is better than anarchy. Some might say that, right? We're used to having a democracy, but that's not, that hasn't been the case for the majority of human history, right? The fact that we elect officials is a blessing. I mean, do you think the Jews were doing a good job in leading the people? We know what Jesus thought. And guess what? He still obeyed. If it wasn't against God and his word, he still obeyed. Who are we? If the son of man, son of God, sorry, did this, who are we not to? MacArthur states, regardless of how unjust a tax is assessed or how blasphemously or irresponsibly it is spent, it is to be paid. If the son of God claimed no exception for himself in paying taxes to the den of thieves run by the wicked, false teachers and leaders of Israel, how much less can his followers claim claim exception for themselves? And if he was concerned more about not giving offense to unbelievers over that issue, how much more should his followers have such concern? So there's no way of getting out of this, guys. And the next one is going to be even a little bit more confronting to ourselves and to me personally. You know, do we pray for those that are in power over us? It's easier to pray when the one you liked elected is in office. But does God command us just to pray for those that we like? For all of them. Whether we put them there or not. Whether we agree with them or not. Does God make mistakes? No. The president that we have is the president that God wanted. And that's him through history. History. It's not something new, guys. To his own people, he gave them to 70 years of exile. He sent them Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And suffering. Read Jeremiah. Okay, guys? It wasn't easy for them. God ordained it. God orchestrated that. Why? For the idolatry of Israel. Maybe you're here tonight... And it seems weird to you. Why would you follow the advice of a man who lived nearly 2,000 years ago? It's so different. It's not the same. We live in a democracy. My friend, that man is God. He was 100% man and 100% God. He lived a perfect life. The The one you and me could never live. He died on the cross for crimes he did not commit. He rose on the third day to save sinners like you and me see, we can never save ourselves no matter how good we think we are. But God took the sins of the entire world and saved us from hell so that we can spend eternity with him only if you repent and trust in him for your salvation. If you really do call out to Jesus to save you, the only thing that you would want to do in this life is to follow his commands. And make him your Lord and be his slave and be his bond servant. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you.